Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Renaissance and Things I Don't Understand. That's because I've got a songwriter, drummer, and legendary founder of the Yardbirds, Jim McCarty, here today to talk about his new memoir, She Walks in Beauty, but it's a memoir with a twist. Welcome, Jim. Hello. Great to see you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, uh, Jim. It's much appreciated. That's fine. I, I've, I've done one with you before, haven't I? You have, yes. It was it was about four and a half years ago. Oh, okay. Was it that long ago? My I God. think in between then there was a, a written QA that we did. Might have been for Nobody Told Me. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because your name is very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> very familiar. <laughs> Brilliant. She Walks in Beauty is a memoir, but it's a bit different to other rock memoirs. The first track being Renaissance Things I Don't Understand, and the themes of that track link into the themes of um, She Walks in Beauty, really, because it's your your sort of quest searching for some of the mystical and and things on the fringes, I guess. Yes, it was quite funny, actually putting all those things together, because I hadn't really thought, you know, that they, they linked up. And then when you when you think about it, all the tracks that um, that are linked, <laughs> it's quite interesting. Because yes, I, I was thinking, I was writing about all those sort of things years ago, and they're still going, still going on. <laughs> yeah, really interesting to see that it's weaved in and out of your life ever since the the fifties and sixties, really. Yes, it, yes, it's been a part of my life, I must say, but never. Um, never right in my face like it is now you know it hit me right in the face <laughs> like oh I you know uh 
I'm really going to explore this now and find out what's going on, you know, and look a bit deeper into it. And it's been quite amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. So this kind of looks at your life through a different lens as opposed to your previous book. Definitely, yeah. I mean, they were, they were, they were both fun to do. And I was very surprised about Dave coming on board, you know, Dave Thompson, because he's such a rock, rock and roll writer. And then I rang him up and I told him the idea and he was right into it straight away. He said, oh, I love, I love all that stuff. I love these things. <laughs> One of the things that you, you talk about in the book is how you knew Paul Samuel Smith, even back at school. The Fred of Paul eventually through different bands or whatever eventually kind of led to the Yardbirds. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He's, he's been very close to me in loads and loads of projects. It's very, very strange. Always seem to projects that do well, you know, <laughs> which is good, isn't it? Good sign. Yeah. Yes, he was involved in uh, the Arbors, obviously, and Renaissance Illusion he was involved in, and Box of Frogs, you know. He, he was there in all those things. Amazing. And even as school children, you were experimenting with a tape machine, I think. Yeah, yeah, he, he he was always very clever with that stuff. You know, he always he was always very technical and had, had funny ideas and did some funny uh, funny tapes, <laughs> really funny. Prior to the Yardbirds, what sort of music were you into, and what sort of music were you playing? Because I think in in the book you describe how it was actually the Rolling Stones that marked a shift. Well, I, I, I don't think we had a, we had another band. I mean, Paul was always in the band as well, you know, even at school. We had a school group that played just early rock and roll, and I, I don't think we played between that and, and the Arbors, but we, we, we always got together because he used to say, oh, well, um, you've got to go and come and see this band, the Rolling Stones, you know, they're, and they're playing up in Richmond. Um, and they were playing in a funny place, like a church hall. It wasn't the Crawdaddy Club or anything, and they had a different drummer. It was all coming from Paul. And uh, then he'd say, oh, come and see this guy, Cyril Davis. You know, he'd, he's got a fantastic band, and he, he's a great harp player. And, and we we go and see all these groups, and it was all it, always his idea, you know. And then he played me um, uh, Jimmy Reed live at the Carnegie Hall, which was great, you know, that. My first taste of real sort of bluesy music, which was amazing. I thought that was a you know a one wonderful thing to hear. One of the great things about the the Yardbirds is the Five Live Yardbirds album because it is such a great document of that period where you've got Chuck Berry uh, material like Too Much Monkey Business, and then you've got blues and great sounding record to me it seems to encapsulate live sound of the adverts but was it representative of what you were doing at the time oh yeah definitely uh because we we never sounded very good in the studios you know when we went in and tried to record something it was always very tame so that the idea was to do something live that would capture the the stage act that was what happened you know when we played live that was a sort of uh energy and I think it did capture it a bit, you know. It was quite exciting, um, quite an exciting record. And, and it still stands up pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think there's been a, a reissue in the past decade that made the, the sound of that record even better. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Uh, I, I'm just amazed how all this stuff keeps going on, you know. <laughs> Never go away, will it? <laughs> yeah, no, people still love it. So what can you say? Good evening. Good evening. 
and welcome and now it is time for bird marizing, yard marizing, in fact most blues wedding yard birds. The drums, Jim McCarty. The rhythm guitar, Chris Dreyer. The bass, Paul Samuel Smith. Lead guitar, Eric Slohan Clapton. The singer and harp, Keith Rowe. It was a, a pop song by Graham Goldman, who's, who's also been on the podcast that was got you into the charts. Oh yes, he he uh, 
Yeah, we had this de- demo disc. It was uh, in the days when writers put their songs down on acetate records and they gave them to publishers and, and the publisher had that demo disc and he, he saw us playing in, um, in the Hammersmith Odeon with the Beatles. And he thought, oh, yeah, this uh, this record will suit this band because they're they're changing tempos and things like that. You know, they're a bit unusual. So we heard it. Uh, he, you know, we sent it to Giorgio, our manager, and we all heard it together, and we, we all loved it. You know? Except for Eric, of course. <laughs> of course, and at the time he was a bit more of a purist i guess or we just wanted to follow the blues and r&b sound he was but he did have um you know there was some you know differences with the band as well and uh he, i think he found it difficult playing in a band being a, a team member I, I i suppose he did that with cream as well but um you know he was always going to be someone that called the shots really have his own band and, and play what he wanted and you know, oh, I do what I <laughs> do what I like. Think he wasn't going to tow tow the line, so I think it was di- it was difficult for him. And then, um, for your love was the nail in the coffin for him, really. But a bit like John Mayle and the Blues Breakers, the Yardbirds, you just got a succession of great guitarists anyway, and was able to flourish. Yeah, that they all have to live up to each other in a way. <laughs> you know, well, Tom started it, and then Eric, and then and Jeff had to sort of live up to Eric and. Jimmy Page, of course, but um, I've got to hand it to Jeff, you know, because he was uh, such a fantastic player, had such a variety of sound, and uh, everything he did went went with what became the Yardbird sound. I think, you know, that was that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. People call it psychedelic. <laughs> Days that will excite 
new paths at the time and especially for the Yardbirds just hadn't been done before yeah yeah I know but it, we, we were just having fun and we, we didn't want to play the blues like uh, you know like like the original blues there was no point we had to we had to make it something different or we wanted to anyway and we had a lot of fun Jeff added to that in a, in a big way the huge pivotal figure in your life the band and and, and in music really uh, and it really comes across is, is Keith in the book and you just you know there's some great moments in there but you talk about how you roomed with him when you were touring the states and that kind of thing oh yes yeah yeah he was always he was always great we we got very close uh and uh we obviously got into all these subjects as as a to let off steam you know that we could relax and go somewhere else rather than thinking about being on the road. And it helped the stress a lot, being able to talk about all these things. And we really did. I don't know, we really linked up a lot. And we had a lot of good times together. Just looking at the book, it talks about how you were kind of reading newspapers, books and interested in the paranormal and you were always like looking for answers and again it, it ties back with things I don't understand and and, and the theme <laughs> of the book yeah that's right yeah and of course uh happening 10 years time ago that was another one we got together which was uh yeah really about you know about reincarnation or what, or what whatever you know something something else that was quite different and something we we thought about things things that we talked and talked about you know quite deeply yeah and and that track in particular it was just so far ahead of its time i mean in the 60s things seemed to move so fast but i think it was at least a year or two years ahead of of its peers really in terms of its sound and its lyrics yeah yeah looking back on it it's more like sort of pink floyd isn't it or being a pink floyd genre um and they were they were a couple of years later. Yeah, you're quite right. Uh, when it came out, I don't think people knew what to make of it. <laughs> it wasn't no any pop record. It was just too cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. I mean, I don't I don't know how far it got in the charts. I think it got to about number forty or something. <laughs> yeah. It bought-
you mentioned um, as well the song We're Still Dreamers, which was from uh, one of your solo albums in the, the 90s, and, and that yeah. was about your relationship with uh, Keith, wasn't it? Yes, I thought we'd, you know, I'd like to talk about, you know, the way we used to dream, because we did dream. It was a, it was a lot of dreaming involved, and, uh, yeah, that, that I think it told the story pretty well in that song, you yeah. And uh, what was it? We we never give up on our vision of things or whatever, you know. And it was it was like that. You were saying how you just sit back, have a joint, and relax, and then talk about UFOs or <laughs> any topic that came to mind. Well, one thing led to another, you know. UFOs led to uh, Atlantis and the chariots of the gods and all that stuff, <laughs> and Stonehenge and everything, you know. So it was uh, it's interesting. And we'll never 
Some material that's not necessarily as known, like Henry's Coming Home by Together, which I think was you and uh, Keith, uh, wasn't it? And that, that was a moment where you describe how you were up towards the late 60s in a bit of a low point. Yeah, and I, I myself needed to sort of get away from everything, you know. I needed to go to go somewhere quiet, and uh, I think it was a, a time to take a few steps back, you know, to, there'd been so much in my face, you know, there was so much pressure going on and stepping back was was nice. I think that was all about that song. Yeah. Was that in a period where you'd left the Yardbirds? Yeah, we'd left we left already, yeah. And uh, that was one of the songs Keith and I did after the group lit up. And it was funny because the house I went to live in was was out in the suburbs of uh, London in Surrey. I think that I was talking to the neighbour one next to a neighbour one time and they, they said oh there was a guy who lived in your house called Henry <laughs> oh wow <laughs> you know talk about a coincidence no Henry Henry's coming home you know coincidence that... just, uh, yeah just synchronicity that there was someone called called Henry that lived there <laughs> well it's all connected as, as we're finding out aren't we yeah, yeah I mean that's what happens you know the more I find out the more I find everything is connected like that you know, it's a complete web of uh, connections. Henry's coming home, wonder if he found it. He just telephoned. Ba, 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 ba. 
projecting together then ran to sort of expanding that out into Renaissance? Yeah, what happened was that Together was just a recording um, idea. We just did recordings mainly at Abbey Road. I mean, we were very lucky to be recording there. But then we we spoke about how to how to progress, and uh, we got together with a, a manager figure, and also Paul Samuel Smith again came into the picture, and uh, we suggested, oh, you know, we should form a band. So that's what we did. And that's how Renaissance came about. And you say how Wanderer expressed your state of mind at the time, which actually was turning around from that more depression and, and casting that away? Yes, I think so. Wanderer is another part of the story. And it's funny, again, you know, talking about connection, how all these, all these songs all add up, you know, and they all, uh, they all tell a story when, <laughs> when they're all together, you know, in different times as well. That's what's interesting. Renaissance and its original incarnation just wasn't built to last and I think it was just the personalities in in the group was it wasn't such a strong uh, band uh, personality wise and it was very stressful you know working um the touring was always stressful but it was you know this was something else I think we went to the US and thought oh you know we're going to be accepted and of course we had to start at the bottom of the rung again you know and people thought well what's this sort of band you know what are they doing uh, what we were expecting a Led Zeppelin type band. <laughs> mm. I suppose I always think I always think people are sort of um, a bit cleverer than that, but they you know they expect a certain thing and they don't get it. So you have to get them to like it. You know, I, 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 we didn't we didn't stay you know we didn't stay together long enough to do that.
some lovely material that you wrote. I don't know if it was for Jane, Jane Ralph, but you, you talked about how you were writing material with, I think, Dave Clark around that period. And, and there was some material like Make My Time Pass By and, and also uh, Without a Song From You. Oh, yes. That, 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 they were really for Jane, yeah. Because um, Jane was sort of signed up as a solo artist and um, she needed a song. And so um, we went and recorded that. I think that was in Abbey Road as well. Um, oh. Yeah, and that, that had a similar sentiment to it. Because I think her big um, her big thing at the time was doing uh, the Finders fish advert, you know, the fish fingers yeah. <laughs> did the advert on the TV. She sang that one, and she was also in the um, uh, the Coca Cola one. You know, I'd like to teach the world to sing. You remember that? Yeah, <laughs> she was in the uh, in the film. It was good. It's clear that actually the, the art of songwriting and, and expressing your emotions and thoughts and feelings through that medium was actually something that you enjoyed and that was a as, as an artist that was you know important to you yes yes I loved it I loved it and the more I could it was after the garbage split up that Keith and I played together and, and we used to sit around and I, I learned to play chords on the guitar and the more you know the more I learned the more I could play the more fun it was the more I could I could uh, write you know it was a nice process. <clears throat> it was so nice of him to show me the chords, and I got the chord books, and it was a uh, it was great fun.
It's amazing to think now, given this happened to so so many artists at the time, given the the state of remuneration in that period, of how many artists, including yourself, that as soon as you were kind of not making records or time regularly, you had to go out and get a day job. You did a variety of things from Imperial College, uh, taxi driving. Yeah, I know, amazing, isn't it? It's quite funny some of the things I've done. I suppose it was all because... You know, we, we were a bit ahead of our time and we never we never made, you know, the big money that happened in the 70s when the album market really took off and, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin was just making albums. So we, we never made the big royalties. And also, you know, we lost we lost the rights to, to a lot of our stuff as well along the way, which was a bit sad. So we, we loads of people think, oh, we, one of the Arbor, you must be a millionaire, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid not. Yeah, I think you say how how um, it was reconnecting with Keith that sparked the idea of of what led to Illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all we all got together again and uh, realized that the Renaissance <clears throat> records that we made were still doing well, particularly in Germany. Strangely enough, and we were still getting royalty checks that were quite good, you know. And uh, we thought, oh well, if it's still doing well. It's there must be something in it that we could do again. So let, let's see what we can do again. So we went from there, and it, I don't know. It didn't really, it didn't really click too well, really. And um, I mean, he had, he had a lot of personal problems at the time, and uh, then he had that horrible accident and uh, was killed. Yeah, yeah. But although Illusion wasn't a huge commercial success, the records themselves really stand. Alone and Isadora, and you describe the, the lyrics to that of, of kind of got a, a sort <laughs> yeah. of ethereal kind of across the generation. Sort of, yeah, it's a sort of, I don't know, it's a sort of a, about a relationship that you had before in, an, in another life somehow. Yeah, very, very ethereal and um, very r- romantic. I don't know why it was Isadora. I mean, just Isadora is such a nice name, you know, to fit in a song. And, uh, yeah, it was just it was just a love song that was based on um, perhaps someone that, that I'd known before, uh, and uh, it came out it came out well. I think it was, that was one of the best ones.
Did it take that much long in terms of time after Illusion for Box of Frogs to kick off? Uh, no, it wasn't, wasn't much longer, I don't think. A couple of years, you know, we got the idea because Paul and Chris Dreyer and myself, we were still friendly and we still used to see each other and do things together. And then we were asked to do a, a show at the Marquee for their uh, anniversary, I think their 20th anniversary, and they wanted us to get a band together and play as the Yardbirds, so we got a couple of guys in, and uh, Mark Falcon came in, you know, the harmonica player mm. from 9-11 and uh, John Knightsbridge who was in um, Illusion, and we, we did a couple of nights there, uh, and from there we, we it just grew the idea of doing another album together to slowly slowly grew and uh, it came out as that first Box of Pogs album. And by the 90s, you got into the New Age movement and then that led you to producing your own solo material? Yes, yes. I, I, yeah, uh, Louis Sanamo and, and myself used to do some stuff together, sort of alternative music, you know, meditation music and stuff. And um, the people who were a, a record company called New World Music and uh, the people there were very, um, they were very good to me promoting uh, I should do a, something on my own, which I, you know, I got together with various other musicians. And, um, yeah, that was great fun. <laughs> it's great to do. That was the first time, I think that was about 90, 
1993 or something like that. Yeah. The last uh, song I'd like to talk about is from your Sitting on the Top of Time album, and that's the, the track for Eloise. Because you described, oh, yeah. yeah, you described the moment of meeting Eloise, who was ninety-five, who could was she kind of a fortune teller or was just able to? <laughs> she was a real character, Eloise Page, and she was a, a reverend. I mean, they have um, I don't know what what happens in in America. They have um, some people that are reverends that are psychics, and she was a psychic, and um, somebody. Um, my wife and I knew in Florida was very friendly with her and um, used to go to her for teachings and stuff and um, like, like channeling sort of things. And she lived on a she lived on a, an alternative a village in in Florida, which was very interesting. But apparently, it came up in a came up in a song by Tom Petty or something because mm-hmm. it was quite uh, Gainesville where he lived. <laughs> And um, I can't remember the name of the village, but she was very interesting. And um, she used to do readings, and she was just one of those one-off people that you you'd meet. And she was great, you know, and well worth a song. But she passed; she passed over. That's why that that song came about. I don't think you were in financial difficulties at the time, but I don't think there was any significant income in. She said that you'd soon come into. Into money. Yes, well, yes, you remember that. Yeah, she, um, yeah, that's right. She said, oh, well, she said to my wife, Elizabeth, oh, your your husband's coming to a great time, you know, in the next few years. <laughs> and that's when we um, we had that, um, you know, cover by the Pussycat Dolls that, 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 you know, sampled one of our songs. And uh, that, that was like the big, real huge hit. I think I think that that made more money than all our other songs put together. <laughs> There's a lovely part at the end of um, "She Walks in Beauty" is that you just you know just talk about some of the the themes and aspiring to love rather than egotism. But that, that is the sort of path to a, a better life, ultimately. Yes, yes, I think it's all about consciousness and. Uh, yeah, I think we, we, we hear all these terrible stories about people dying and going to hell and all this stuff, and there's a lot of fear around, but I, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think the, the consciousness seems to go to a lovely place, it's a sort of place full, full of love and uh, beauty, you know, it's really, it seems really nice because... Uh, um, somebody just said to me today, funnily enough, he said... Uh, Oh, uh, there's nothing um, negative that comes from a soul level. There's not, nothing negative, you know. It's just our minds are negative, and um, in the soul world or soul realm, everything positive and loving and and uh, beautiful, you know. <laughs> talking like an old hippie now. Nothing wrong with that, is there? <laughs> just, just talking about the hippie. There's a, I think there's a what, what they're calling a, a flower power cruise in uh, March. Uh, oh, next yeah. year, the current lineup of the Yardbirds are, are with lots of uh, contemporaries, kind of all getting together on a cruise. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, people like the Beat Boys do it. Lots, you know, Herman and lots of other, yeah. lots of other. The Holly, it's the Hollies as well, and the Cowsills and. Oh, you know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done it twice before, and it's always been fun. I mean, it's always great fun, and people really enjoy themselves and. I mean, it's not it's not a boring thing to do. It's like uh, nice and 
you know, a few days out in the Caribbean is quite pleasant. <laughs> Absolutely. And and um, what are your plans for 2022? I mean, obviously, the, it's been such a, yeah. a restrictive time, you know, understandably given uh, COVID's been around. Um, yeah. We're catching up, really. We've got to catch up on a few more dates and then we'll see how it goes and, you know, maybe do some new recording. And, you know, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm still you know, open to writing more and more songs. So I'll write some more about all this stuff. <laughs> I guess that's the the great thing. I was talking to Chris Jagger uh, recently and he's got an, an album and book and it was actually looking back on his life, actually inspired his his new album. Uh, do you think that that might be the case yes. with you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Why not? I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff there to put into songs. So, you know, it's a, it's a great big, a big pop there, you know, of stuff which is it's so so nice so we'll see your website com has, has got details of uh, she walks in beauty it's, it's got the link to the the cruise and uh, uh everything else that you're up to good great as always jim i mean uh, just such a pleasure to talk to you it's just a, a great read she walks in beauty and it's good to know that you're getting out there and playing some dates with the the yardbirds next year and crucially new material, new songs, etc. Great. Thank you very much. That's nice. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. <laughs> and take care. Okay. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page 
thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.